Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 136 unread books on my shelf. With me is my brother, Andrew. Yellow. And my husband, Dylan, is the sound recordist. Also, Toby fell in. Our regular co-host, Toby, is still on the road, but having a grand old time. It's fun to watch him on Instagram, and it's like he's living the dream. He's somewhere in the woods, and no one knows where he is. Maybe he's lost on the moors. <gasps> That's a good tease for later. So we have been all traveling um, the past few weeks. I just got back from Telluride, Colorado. Um, Dylan and I were there for the film festival, which was very fun, but a little bit weird because besides wearing masks, it was all kind of back to normal. And I, I didn't feel like ready for that in a certain way, but we've been testing like crazy and we're still negative. So I guess it's okay. It just, it feels weird to do normal things now. Do you ever feel like that, Andrew? Absolutely. Yeah. No, normal feels bad, but also good. It's very confusing. I think everyone's probably struggling with this, but yeah, it's going to take a while before things like that start to feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, while I was in Telluride, I did pick up a little bit of shame. Shame. What? Bailey, you left the state, you went to a different state, and yet somehow you still found shame. That's federal shame. Uh, yeah, cross-border shame. I bought a book. I bought Lemony Snicket's Poison for Breakfast, which just came out. I hadn't heard of that. Is that a series of unfortunate events novel, or is it just a new thing? No, it's a brand new thing. It's Lemony Snicket, so it's still his personality like from those books, but it's for adults, it's more of like a philosophy-type short book. Okay. Um, I read half of it on the plane, you know, in half an hour and then fell asleep. And that had nothing to do with the book. That was just being being tired. But my point is, it's a quick read and I like it so far. Um, And then I also picked up City of a Thousand Gates by Rebecca Sachs from my local bookstore. And the guy working there kind of dunked on me because I said, oh, I went to college with Becca Sachs. And he's like, oh, Becca's one of my best friends. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'm not that cool. Um, But I'm excited for that one. It's been on a lot of lists and... We were both in the literary magazine at school together, so it'd be cool to read her book. And then I got a book that just seemed up my alley from a little free library. Because I can't stop myself. This book is called The Last Equation of Isaac Severy by Nova Jacobs. It was one of the Book of the Month Club books, and it looks like it's like you follow different clues to, to solve a mystery, kind of like Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Oh, cool. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those where it's like, okay, this one's made for me. I have to take it. So what about you, Andrew? Did you have any shame? Well, I don't have as much shame as you, and that'll have to be what lets me (laughs) sleep at night. Um, But I do still have some shame. I was traveling as well, going between Maine to house sit for my mother and also um, popping over to Greensboro, Vermont, which is where my shame comes from. (gasps) Um, In Greensboro, they were having a book sale. Ooh, One of those classic library book sales to help the historical society. I couldn't not go. Of course not. No, and it, the books, guess how much they cost? Um, a dollar. 60 bucks a pop. They cost however much you wanted to spend on them. If you saw our Instagram post about it, they just had these little jars around. I took a picture of it, and it was donate how you want, and then take as many books as you want. I think it's impressive that I only took two. Whoa. Ooh. So I think I should be rewarded for this shame instead of shamed for it. You should have taken money from the thing and being like, okay, I deserve some money for only getting two books. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I am now the historical society and I would like all this money. Um, no, I got a, a book called Stray City by Chelsea Johnson, which I'm excited for. I don't really know anything about it. It had a pull quote from Carrie Brownstein on it. 
Um, it looks interesting. It has a cat on the cover. Um, and you got a cat on the cover and you have Stray in the name. I'm intrigued. And again, it was however much I wanted to pay for it. So I'm excited for that, but I don't know that much about it. Um, and then I also picked up a copy of Olive Kitteridge by uh, Elizabeth Strout. That's one I've almost got at several library book sales. It's been recommended to me by like eight different people because it's invo- it involves Maine and mm-hmm. people just seem to think I'll like it. And I just resisted getting it. So the price was right. And the price was donation. <laughs> um, I am happy with my shame and proud of not being more ashamed than I actually am. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I'm proud of you for that too, Andrew. And yeah. I'm, I'm excited Dunk to out. hear what you think of Olive Kittredge because then I'll decide whether or not I should add yeah. it to my shame. Toby is obviously not here, but he let us know that he stopped at Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon. And he said he got a lot of shame. So tune in next episode to find out what he oh, got. No. What if he's just reading all those books and like throwing them into canyons so he doesn't ever have to report them? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. What if you were walking in a canyon and a book dropped right in front of you? And it's like, oh, fine, I'll read all of Kittredge. Ugh. If you think about that, that is the street books of nature. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andrew, like, I know you have this long-term relationship with this person that was adopted into our house. And, you know, it's kind of complicated. Do you want to talk about it? I would love to talk about it. But while I'm doing that, let's actually talk about Emily Bronte's novel, Wuthering Heights, which is the book I read this week. Wuthering, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. If only there was a song called Wuthering Heights that you could use. If only there was a song that would be stuck in your head for the entirety of reading the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Every time you saw Heathcliff written down, did you think of it in Kate Bush voice? Yeah, me too. A hundred percent. I should have just researched Kate Bush instead of Emily Bronte. (laughs) Well, stay tuned for the game and you might get a chance to get some more Kate Bush in your life. Um, That's a tease. Um... So here's a little logline. Many of you are probably familiar with the plot, and it was kind of hard to write a logline for because basically it boils down to Heathcliff does what he wants to ruin people's lives. But (laughs) here's what I wrote. Emily Bronte's classic novel tells the tale of two families living in the rough terrain of Northern England. Central to the plot is the enigmatic, adopted, and often terrifying Heathcliff, whose obsessive love for his childhood companion Catherine propels the families into hardship and ruin. Can there be hope on these wild moors? Wuthering Heights begs the question of what differentiates love and obsession, revenge, and resolution. And that's what I wrote for my essay on Wuthering Heights <laughs> that I will now deliver. That's very good. I, I I also read it. I didn't think of Heathcliff as being like the only bad guy. I think he and Kathy are just toxic, but but tell me more. Yeah, I, I think he. there's definitely complicating factors, but he certainly propels a lot of the at least second two thirds of the book forward. Also, I'm not going to interrupt your review anymore, but I just want to clarify. Does Heathcliff has, have a first name? Great question. I think, <laughs> I think he's just Heathcliff. <laughs> I think he does have a, a first name, but no one ever calls it. I think there's a reference to it in the book. Okay. Should we look this up so that we have an answer for it so we don't seem like idiots? I don't know. I'm going to look it up real quick. Okay. Just because if he if there's a name that he has and we both have forgotten it, we're going to feel like idiots. It's, it's Garfield. Garfield. Heathcliff. <laughs> uh, let's see. Characters. Heathcliff. It just is called Heathcliff. <laughs> there you go. Oh, wow. Anyway, sorry to interrupt your Anyhow. review. No, no, no. It's okay. Dylan, cut that and make us, make us sound smart. Okay. Um, so a, li- a little more plot. Basically, the story actually has sort of a... And I, I had started reading this when I was much younger, 
yeah, for class in college and I didn't actually finish the book. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and I didn't remember the, the narrative framing device on it, which is that the story is actually not just like a novel from a third person narrator. What it is, is the new tenant of, of Thurcross Grange, who is the house that Heathcliff owns and then lets out. Mr. Lockwood has a really bad time meeting Heathcliff <laughs> and then talks to his servant, Nellie Dean, and is like, what's up with that mean guy? <laughs> and then the whole book is actually uh, Ella Dean telling um, the story in an amazing amount of detail <laughs> that she just remembers off the top of her head. Well, that that's my favorite part because Mr. Lockwood's clearly looking for some hot goss and Ellen Dean's ready to give it to him. <laughs> just, yeah. He's just spilling the tea, but for like 300 pages. Basically. <laughs> yeah. There's like minimal, minimal interruptions. <laughs> Girl, let me tell you. <laughs> and also clearly Emily Bronte was like, this has been going on too long. Uh, I have to invent a reason for them to stop for a few days. And then another situation where she could have like three hours to talk to Mr. Lockwood about Heathcliff. So there's some of that. Is this what people did before like television movies? It's just like, hey, do you want to just talk uh, some stuff? Yeah, you, about somebody for three hours <laughs> yeah you get your servant to tell you all about someone you don't like um but yeah so that's the, the sort of f- framing device but the story is actually about um a family living in a house called wuthering heights on the moors of northern england roughly close to liverpool and it's inhabited by the earnshaws one day mr earnshaw who already has two children Catherine and hindley their father brings home a boy from the streets of liverpool uh, named heathcliff who instantly is kind of wild and, and people don't necessarily gravitate towards him until Catherine and him become like thick as thieves, best friends, never really get along with Hindley. And that dynamic sort of keeps going and Heathcliff and Catherine's relationship becomes progressively more, is it love? What's going on? Until Catherine goes and marries someone from the other house, Thurcross Grange, Edgar Linton, um, who is kind of like a dandy. But he's hot. He's hot. He's a dandy. He's nice. Yeah. Gross. And then Heathcliff decides he's poor. He's once Hindley takes control of Wuthering Heights, he's reduced to being a servant. He decides that because of this, he's got to ruin everybody's life. And that's basically how the plot then unfolds. I, we're going to veer close to spoilers on this because it's, it's an old book and it's sort of hard to talk about it because basically the plot is that Heathcliff ruins all the characters' lives and then the children of people's lives for no real reason. Yeah, he really um, just digs it in there. Yeah. And also, Bailey, feel, feel free to step in if I'm missing any big things. It's um, full disclosure, listeners. I, I read Conversations with Friends also, but after I read Wuthering Heights, so it's just a little less fresh in my mind. Well, um, just one thing I don't know if you're going to talk about is that in part of the introduction with Lockwood, he experiences um, Kathy's ghost visiting Wuthering Heights. And so you kind of know going in that something strange happened with Kathy. And is she a ghost? She seems to be wanting to get into the house. What's up with that? And so there's a little bit of a, you know, gothic supernatural aspect. Yeah. So they frame it as a dream. So you never know if you're like supposed to right. believe that this is a world where ghosts exist or not. And I think that's actually sort of a line that gets towed really nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sort of the general plot. Uh, people get married, people die, people have children. And all along the way, Heathcliff is just like, I'm one step ahead of you and I'm going to make whatever you think is going to happen. Slightly worse. Um, and yeah, so it was cool to read this. Um, it's a book that I've had on my shelf for a really long time. And I've been saying I was going to read it for a really long time. And it was nice to finally get a chance to do that. 
some things I really liked about it, some of my elves were, it, it kind of felt, and I haven't read a lot of contemporaries of Bronte, so maybe this is something really common, but it felt unique from other pieces I've read from around this era. It felt like darker, less forgiving, more like kind of modern in that it seems completely unconcerned with the happiness of its characters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's typical of the time or maybe why it's remembered is that it's sort of unique for that. Well, it also might just be Emily Bronte of who she is. Teasing the facts. Teasing, teasing, teasing. I don't know. It felt sort of oddly refreshing in that way because I was like, I have a certain expectation of novels from this era, and this did not necessarily fall into the category of what I was expecting. Another thing I really liked about it, I, I like the writing style quite a bit. I mean, obviously, it stood the test of time, so she's a great writer, but I'll throw in a couple quotes to see if it's something that you at home might be interested in from old Emily Bronze. Mm-hmm. Um, this is on page 73 of my copy of the book, um, and it's uh, Kathy talking about whether or not she should be with Heathcliff or Edgar Linton. If all else perished and he remained, he's referring to Heathcliff, I should still continue to be. And if all else remained and he were annihilated, the universe would turn into a mighty stranger. I should not seem a part of it. For my love of Linton is like the foliage of the woods. Time will change it. I'm well aware as winter changes the trees. My love for Heathcliff resembles the eternal rocks beneath, a source of little visible delight, but necessary. Nellie, I am Heathcliff. He always, always in my mind, not as a pleasure any more than I am always a pleasure to myself, but as my own being. So don't talk of our separation again. We've all had those boyfriends that are just bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't seem very healthy there, Kathy, but I mean, okay. He, I mean, he's similar. Yeah, sure. He has a quote later that's like, don't leave me. Oh, maybe this uh, quote on 148 of my version. Mm-hmm. It's not a spoiler to say that Kathy dies um, because, again, yes, the ghost is visiting at the beginning of it. Yeah. But this is Heathcliff uh, talking about how he is going to try to go on after the death. Oh, you said you cared nothing for my sufferings. And I pray one prayer. I repeat it as my tongue stiffens. Catherine Earnshaw, may you not rest as long as I am living. You say I killed you. Haunt me then. The murdered do haunt their murderers, I believe. And I know that ghosts have wandered the earth. Be with me always. Take any form. Drive me mad. Only do not leave me in this abyss where I cannot find you. Oh God, it is an unutterable. I cannot live without my life. I cannot live without my soul. And then he hits his head against a tree trunk until his head bleeds. Um, but <laughs> Heathcliff is very extra. They're all very extra. There's a lot of emotion. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of extras in this. Um, and, and so those are like my, my two positives about the book that I really liked. I, I was surprised by it and I really liked the writing. To pivot um, maybe more towards my orcs, I just had a really hard time getting through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't that I was like, oh gosh, I have to read this book. It just was one of those ones where you're like, okay, I finished a chapter. How long did that, that took 45 minutes to finish a 10 page chapter. And, and so that does affect your experience of it. And I, I know some of that is just, you know, the differences in writing style of the time and like it being sort of incongruous to, to modern ears, but it, you know, you gotta, you gotta call it out. Also, while it was fun that the tone was different, it would have been nice if people were just a little nicer in the book. <laughs> Or like there was more redeeming qualities in people. It's not necessarily fun to watch bad people doing bad things over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of, except for like some windows into into the Linton characters and the Linton lineage, there's not a lot of people who are doing that great or who are being that nice. Mm-hmm. And so that was part of what also made it drag because it was like, okay, well, Heathcliff's, uh, you know, ruining this guy's life. But the guy whose life he's ruining is also 
kind of a butthead. So who really cares? <laughs> so there's that. Um, aside from that, I mean, Bailey calls out people being extra and some people are super duper extra. I'm calling out Joseph, the, the <laughs> butler, who is the worst butler in the world. I guess he's not a butler. He's like a, just a sort of general servant housekeeper kind of guy. And all he does is say people aren't being godly, refuse to do tasks, and then just kind of sit idly by when you've asked him to do something and then yell at you again. And also he's written in dialect of like a severe northern accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a treat. Um, and yeah, so the, the characters are fun. I liked a lot about it. I think ultimately I came down as four stars, but it was a border between three and four. I think had I been able to read it without like worrying about finishing it for the podcast, I think I would have maybe enjoyed it a little more. So I ended up giving it the benefit of the doubt and going up to four. But I'm curious to hear what you think, Bailey. I feel like this review was very rambly, but it's hard to make sense of what I feel about the wildness of the Moors and the wildness in Heathcliff's soul. Rambling on the Moors is exactly what it should be, Andrew. You know, I completely agree with your review. I liked all the things you liked. Um, The things you said also frustrated me. For whatever reason, I had a really hard time getting through the book as well. I needed to, in order to focus, I found I needed to read the audiobook at the same time as reading the physical book. So I put on the text read by Joanne Frogert from Downton Abbey, who did a great job performing the audiobook. Um, And I put her to like 1.5 speed and I just read the book that way. And otherwise, I couldn't focus. If I did one or the other, I couldn't focus on it. I needed both. And that probably shows that it's, you know, not my favorite book. Um, So yeah, I I veered more on the three star versus the four star. It was probably a 3.5, but I'm going to go with three because like you said, you know, it wasn't an easy read for me necessarily. And you just want to cause drama? And, you know, like Heathcliff, I just like to cause drama. Fair, fair. So awesome. Well, that is Wuthering Heights by Miss Emily Bronte. Four stars. Moors, 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 moors. So many moors. And speaking of more, I'd like to hear more about <laughs> Emily Bronte, Dylan. Okay. So Emily Heathcliff Bronte was no. no. <laughs> Emily Bronte, uh, she was born on July 30th, 1818 to Maria Branwell and Patrick Bronte. Now, do you remember that scene in Goodwill Hunting where he rattles off the names of all his fake brothers? Yeah. It's kind of like that. There were a lot more Brontes than just the three Bronte sisters. There was Maria Elizabeth. Charlotte uh, Branwell, the one Bronte boy who yeah. screws everything up, uh, Emily and Anne. But don't worry, you don't have to remember a lot of their names because unfortunately, a lot of them die very quickly. Because uh, Emily's three elder sisters, Maria, Elizabeth, and Charlotte, um, they went to the clergy daughter school. Um, but because of how the school is run, uh, Maria and Elizabeth died from there and Charlotte became very ill. And Emily claims that that impacted the rest of her life with bad health. However, uh, Emily seems to be kind of, even though she is extremely shy, we will go back into this in further detail, but she is the most introverted introvert to ever live. I love her. Except for one huge detail, which is that um, while they were growing up in Haltworth, there was civil unrest with Chartists. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, And so they had to keep a gun around the house. And Patrick, Patrick, the father, did not trust Branwell, the son, to use it. So he chose Emily to learn how to shoot. And Emily loves shooting practice. And she became really good at it. And <laughs> uh, Patrick would would say often, how cleverly you have done, my dear girl. Oh, she is brave and a noble girl. She is my right hand. Nay, the very apple of my eye. Branwell. <laughs> Yeah, Branwell, I, full disclosure, I know a little bit about this because I saw a play about their lives. Branwell's a real butt. Yeah. 
Well, originally Emily wanted to be Emily and Anne wanted to become teachers. So she became a teacher, but uh, she was very fragile and with her health and couldn't handle the stress of 17 hour school work days, which does not make sense. What? Okay. That's not how long schools are supposed to go on for. That's how long mine went on for. <laughs> she returned home uh, like around 1839. Uh, and this is a common theme. She would like try to go out and do something and then either become homesick or just not like it and bail. In 1842, she and Charlotte went on a little adventure in Belgium uh, where they were going to try to learn uh, French and German to open up their own school. Uh, Charlotte loved it. Emily hated Brussels and refused to adopt Belgian fashions, saying, I wish to be as God made me. (laughs) I respect her. I like her. And her what head- were the Brussels fashions, though, that she so hated? <laughs> and she wrote some essays that have been translated from France, but I think it's just her complaining about Belgium. The um, headmaster, he uh, wrote about Emily that she could have been a man, a great navigator. Her powerful reason would have deduced new spheres of discovery from the knowledge of the old. She had a head for logic and a capability for argument. Unusual in a man and a rarer indeed in a woman. Yeah, women definitely not logical. Definitely not good at arguments. <laughs> this woman could have navigated places. Can you what? believe it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Emily just had no love interest throughout her life. She was very aromantic. Loved her sisters, loved Anne especially, did not love dudes. What if she loved ladies? She might have. She didn't have any known secret relationships. Okay. Um, because she could be very shy. In fact, when people visited them, she would sometimes hide under a table or behind a door or during an event oh when she was invited to speak, she would refuse to speak. I love her. I love <laughs> the boldness of hiding under the table. <laughs> Because that's a big call. Like under behind the door is also great because it's just like, I'm just going to close this door in front of me and then no one will know I'm there. But under the table is like, I don't want to be seen and I want you to know that I don't want to be seen. (laughs) Emily, it's a dinner. We're all here. (laughs) Oh, man. I do think, though, like part of me is like, well, maybe she was asexual. Maybe she was ace. But there's so much like romance in Wuthering Heights that I don't know. Maybe she just didn't find her person. Well, that's why she worked it into her poems because she was writing a lot of poetry at the time. And one night, um, Emily, Charlotte, and Anne were, uh, Charlotte found Emily's poems and said, these are really good. Emily yelled at her and it turned into a huge fight, but then they eventually- Don't read my poems. Don't read my poems. God, you're the worst. <laughs> um, but they all realized that they were all writing poems. So they decided to submit them uh, for publication. Emily protesting a lot. I love that. It's like, don't read my poems. Wait, you're writing poems too? And you? Oh my gosh. So their first collection of poems was called Poems by Currer, Ellis, and Acton Bell because they thought that no one would want to read a woman's poems. So they each chose a male name, which is assigned to uh, the letter of their first name. So Currer is Charlotte, Ellis is Emily, and Acton is Anne. Mm -hmm. And Branwell is but. Branwell's not invited. (laughs) Um, they finally got it published and it sold two copies. No, not even three. There's three of them. (laughs) Emily, you didn't buy a copy of it? (laughs) No, I didn't want these published. One person loved it so much, though, he got it autographed. So there is apparently a very expensive first edition of their poetry that's signed by them. Wow. That one guy. But the publisher did like it. And Emily just happened to have a novel line around, which was Wuthering Heights. So they did publish that. And it was a hit, but it was a very, very divisive hit. Okay. People say, like, wow, this is really powerful. And the imagination is so great. And it's even written by a woman. 
So some were published by Emily Bronte, others were published by Alice Bell, others were just published without an author. Well, I read something that said like, you know, clearly Jane Eyre was written by a woman, but this one had to be written by a man because it's so like devilish and evil. Well, yeah, like the Atlas Review calls it a strange inartistic story. Rude. (laughs) But every story, every chapter seems to contain some sort of rugged manly power. Ooh. I also love the idea of Emily hiding under the table and just having (laughs) Wuthering Heights ready to go. (laughs) Like, I'm going to get you all for making you talk to me. (laughs) Um, Graham's Lady Magazine wrote, How a human being could have attempted such a book as this present without committing suicide before he had a dozen chapters is a mystery. It is a compound of vulgar depravity and unnatural horrors. (laughs) It makes me like the book more to hear that this was the reaction, though. Uh, And just for some more Emily is crazy facts. Uh, According to Bronte's biographer, Elizabeth Gaskell, on one occasion, she was bitten by a rabid dog frothing at the mouth. She didn't want to worry anybody. So Emily took a red hot poker from the fire and seared her own flesh to the bone to cauterize the wound. Emily. She's so shy. She doesn't want want people to know that she's been bitten by a rabid dog. To be fair, doesn't seem like she died of rabies. Well, I mean, she she did get tuberculosis in late 1848, and she was so stubborn that for like half a year, she refused to see a doctor. Like everyone kept telling her, like, you clearly have tuberculosis. She refused all medical assistance, calling it quackery. We hear you coughing from under the table, Emily. Even after Bromwell also died of tuberculosis that same year. Mm, but they didn't care about him. Her last spoken words might have been to Charlotte of, okay, I will see a doctor now. Really? Yep. Oh, I love her. Hey, she didn't want help. The people in Wuthering Heights actually all sort of approach sickness kind of similarly. Yeah. <laughs> she had grown so thin that her coffin measured only 16 inches wide. Whoa. The carpenter said they had never made one narrower for an adult. Wow. Could have yeah. just made it normal size. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to special make it, guy. <laughs> uh, so that is the crazy life of Emily Bronte. I'm sure we'll cover the other Bronte sisters too because they all have pretty intense lives. Wow. Great facts, Dylan. That was... I'm really glad I know all of this about her. And again, all of this makes me like the book more. It makes a lot of sense that her characters have so much emotion because, yeah, that tracks. So, Bailey. Yeah. I want to keep talking to you, but do you have any conversations with anybody else you need to do first? Well, we're not friends, so we can't talk about it. Okay, that's fair. Just kidding. I read a book called Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. Rune, rune, rune. Rune, rune, rune. A hot name on everyone's, on everyone's lips. Actually, she is kind of in the zeitgeist right now because her latest book just came out, which is called, what's it called, Dylan? Uh, it's called Beautiful World, Where Are You? Beautiful World, Where Are You? It literally came out Tuesday. Great. So we're recording this. So uh, The same week we're recording this. The same week we're recording this. And Andrew also read this one as well. And we all covered normal people earlier. I was going to mention this in the facts, but we did cover this in episode 24, East of Normal. If you want to know about Normal People, which is her other most famous novel so far, you could uh, check that out. Um, Andrew, you read Normal People as well, right? I did not for the podcast, but your review intrigued me, so I picked up a copy. All right. So um, Conversations with Friends is a lot of the same, has a lot of similar aspects to Normal People. It takes place in Ireland. Um, I believe modern day. There aren't a lot of specifics, but it seems like modern day. The characters are... Young, smart, beautiful, and cruel, you might say. But it's essentially a love quadrangle. The narrator, Frances, uh, she's a young college student and her best friend, Bobby. Well, they're students, but they also perform poetry. 
and they run into a famous couple, Melissa, who is a journalist, writer, and her famous actor husband, Nick. Um, Melissa decides to profile the two students, and they start up a relationship. It starts that Bobby has a crush on Melissa, and then slowly Francis gets to know Nick, the actor, and they start up an affair. Sally Rooney describes it as similar to Franny and Zooey, which is a compound or multiple love story. There's a lot of loves going on. There's love between Francis and Bobby, who also used to date, love between Francis and Nick, crush between Bobby and Melissa. It's all just a really clear setting and um, excellent characterization to the point where you really love to hate these characters, I think. I'll just spoil everything and say, I really, really like this book. I actually liked it better than I liked Normal People. But that is not what most people think. Most people prefer Normal People. And a lot of people say that they can't get behind this book because the characters are just so cruel. I don't think of them that way. I think of them as young and sort of broken. And I thought that that was a very interesting perspective. You know, Francis makes a lot of bad decisions, first and foremost, starting an affair with a married man. But... When I'm reading it, I'm just thinking, she's so young. She's so young. Everything she's doing just feels so young, like storming out of the room or not communicating her real feelings or what she really wants. And I just thought of that as an extension of the character, and it felt very real to me. So I didn't think like, oh, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Toby was contacting us and saying, like, I don't know how many smart, mean Irish people I can listen to. (laughs) But I I really enjoyed it. Are you more forgiving for them because you just finished Wuthering Heights where it's like, they're not that bad. They're not ruining lives. (laughs) No, I mean, I guess I just thought of Frances' selfishness as part of her coming of age. Like, I I just, it didn't bother me. So she has very little ambition. Um, She doesn't think about things like needing to make money. There's times when she's not making any money and she doesn't ask for any help and she's just like basically destitute. She's very young and naive. Um, I also really liked the way that uh, Rooney characterized her relationship with her father, who has mental health issues and alcoholism. And I thought that it was portrayed very accurately, especially when she's talking about like walking into the room and immediately knowing like what state of mind her dad was in just by seeing him. And then I just really loved the interpersonal dynamics of it. So here's another quote. This is the last quote, but this will really give you a sense of the book. And if you're interested in this, you'll probably like the book. So this is on page 31. Bobby is talking about how Melissa, the journalist, doesn't like Tennessee Williams. And this is Francis. I could hear that Bobby said this with an ironic smile because she was aware that she was showing off. I was jealous, but I also felt that because I had seen the play, I was party to something Bobby didn't know about. She still saw Nick as a background figure with no significance other than Melissa's husband. If I told her that I had just sent him an email thanking him for the ticket, she wouldn't understand that I was showing off too. Because to her, Nick was just a function of Melissa's unhappiness and uninteresting in his own right. It seemed unlikely she would see the play now, and I couldn't think of any other way to impress her with Nick's personal significance. When I mentioned that he was planning to come and see us perform sometime soon, she just asked if that meant Melissa would come too. I like that because, you know, to Francis, Nick is a huge character, but to other people, he's just a side character. So I I really enjoyed it. And I I ended up giving it five stars. I breezed through it. I thought it was more striking and memorable than normal people. Because with normal people, I just was like, I don't know, just get together already. With this one, I, I was interested to know how it would all come out. And I liked the the ending. What did you think, Andrew? I feel similarly to you in a lot of ways. Um, I gave it five stars as well. 
like, I think people think of themselves as better people than they actually are because I didn't think of these people as like awful characters or Mm -hmm. awful people. Mm -hmm. I thought they were human and making terrible mistakes, you know, like they're making mistakes, but the way it was rationalized didn't, I don't know, it didn't bother me that much. I, yeah. I thought it was like a really accurate portrayal of human fallibility. Rooney is able to characterize an, the internal way that Frances has clarity over what's going on, but then can't actually bring herself to act in the proper way afterwards. Right. Um, obviously, this isn't like a situation I found myself in, but the events of this book, I'm not saying like everybody has mar- extramarital affairs with famous <laughs> actors, but I just found there was humanity in the fact that these were not perfect people. They were normal people. <laughs> um, all that said, yeah, I really like this book. I gave it five stars. I think it works better for the normal people for me personally, because we get extreme interiority of just one person. Whereas I think normal people is with like internal to both of them, but it just alternates who's Mm -hmm. in control of the chapter. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was more effective and I got more invested in Francis because I was just getting her side of things. Awesome. Okay. So uh, that's Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. Five stars. Dylan, do you have any facts on Miss Rooney? Yes. Because we basically did the facts for her like less than two years ago. Mm-hmm. Episode 24, East of Normal. Check it out. Uh, and just to remind you all, Sally Rooney was born in Castlebar, County Mayo, Ireland. And she went to Trinity. Also, if you guys remember, she was born in 1991. So that was fun. Let's not talk about that. Uh, she was that world famous debater. Got a contract after her story about it even if you beat me. And they asked if, hey, do you have any fiction novels? And this was the fiction novel she had uh, that led to a seven-way bidding war for it. And then after that, she wrote Normal People. It's funny, listening to the podcast, Bailey, you actually did say, like, Normal People would be a better TV series than movie. And guess what? It was a great TV show. It was a great TV show. It was being nominated for four Emmys. So that means uh, Sally Rooney is now a Emmy-nominated Uh, author because she actually wrote uh, the screenplays with Alice Birch. Cool. So as most of us spent the last year being locked up in our houses, Zali Rooney was finishing up her novel, uh, which she actually just finished Under the Wire, finishing the first draft in March last year. But she did write it at the New York Public Library for the Coleman Center Fellowship. Cool. Uh, Meaning that she did go to New York to write her novel like the character in Normal People. Marianne. Marianne. Um... She has been declared the Salinger of the Snapchat generation. A bunch of articles I read said that, and they kept not telling me who originally said it because it's a really dumb thing. Is Snapchat even a thing anymore? Is Salinger even a thing? R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this book that's coming out right now, The Beautiful World, Where Are You, is been blowing up, and it has been called J.K. Rowling Expectations of Hype. There were advanced proofs of the book going for $200 on eBay. Mm-hmm. Highly illegal. Everyone's getting super hyped up for this novel that just came out, including The Beautiful World, Where Are You, Bucket Hat. (laughs) All right, listener, you can't see this. Just search Beautiful World, Where Are You, Bucket Hat, because it's really something special. (laughs) But it's a whole thing that uh, there's some interesting articles about it, about how normal people became a social media phenomenon, that Mm -hmm. people kind of use it to show that they're deep thinkers. And that might be where the Salinger of the Snapchat generation comes from. Shouldn't it be like the Irving of the Instagram? Ooh. I mean, I, I definitely see it all over Bookstagram. All the Sally Rooney stuff. Yeah. Sally Rooney is very confused by all this because in the interview, she keeps saying that she's normal and boring. She likes to play online chess and do Sudokus. Which makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. And she says, there's a part of me that will never be happy knowing that I'm just writing entertainment, making decorative aesthetic objects at a time of historical crisis. 
and she was on the Irish Independent. Uh, but I'm not good at anything else. Oh, Sally, don't say that. Sally. I mean, you were a good debater and a, you know good at making arguments, which means you're probably a dude, according to the ladies' journal. <laughs> <laughs> Can she navigate? <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like her life has been kind of the same. She's still married to John Prasivka, uh, a math math maths teacher. Mm-hmm. Maths? They call it maths. They call yeah in the UK and Ireland they refer to mathematics as maths uh, for shorthand. Uh, she's still a very hardcore communist. Uh, although she does say that she does not mind making money from her books. She just wishes that her husband made more money from teaching. Yeah. And this is like the horror movie where like you realize that there's another one coming right up because Sally Rooney's sister-in-law, uh, John Prasivka's sister, is just gotten a huge bidding war for her book, Catherine Prasivka. 25 is set to publish her debut novel called None of This Is Serious uh, next year. All right. Well, you know what? Good for you, Sally Rooney. I hope you take my money and buy like a nice sweater and a nice Sudoku book. She's going to buy a nice chunky knit sweater and a Sudoku book. Yeah. Are you going to buy her bucket hat, though? I don't know. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Good facts, Dylan. Andrew. See? I'm hoping, you know, we could have a pretty normal conversation with you, but... You know, maybe you also have a game. <gasps> yes, let's have a game. Why not? Live your life. A, 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 A. Yes, I have a game. Um, I alluded to what the subject of this is going to be a little earlier on, but let's 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 just not beat around the bush any longer. <gasps> beat around the bush, you say? Ha ha. The name of this game is called Running Up That Hill. <gasps> you mean running up that cliff? Running up the hill. <laughs> um, the way this game is going to work is... Imagine Bailey and Dylan, you're both on level ground, and there's a big hill you gotta climb. Okay. <laughs> okay. So imagine, so put yourself there. This hill has steps, and the name of the game is to get the most steps up this hill. Gotcha. All right? That's your, that's your mission. Okay. How you do that is by naming things. Now, you have two options of things you can name. You can name either one of the songs that's top 10 most played according to Spotify of Kate Bush, or... You can name one of the top 12 things to do in Dublin, Ireland, based on TripAdvisor.com. Those are your two options. Top 10 songs by Kate Bush, top 12 things to do in Dublin. For each correct answer you get, you get one step up that hill. That hill, you're running up that hill. Gotcha. For each incorrect one you say, you get a step down. You can also pass or say you're done, but know that the other person could then overtake you. So you get to have to decide when you have reached what you think is the most points you can have. And then you can say, I'm not going to name anymore. Okay. Okay. So here's how I want it to decide who goes first. Whoever does a better impression of Kate Bush saying Heathcliff gets to go first. Heathcliff. Heathcliff. All right. So I think I'm, I'm going to say Dylan sounded a little bit more like Kate Bush. I'm That's so fair. sorry, Ew. Bailey. That's fair. All right, Dylan, you go first. All right. So Dylan, you get to go first. Reminder, you can name one of the top 10 songs on Spotify by Kate Bush or the top 12 things to do on TripAdvisor in Dublin, Ireland. Okay, um, I'll do the Kate Bush and say Hounds of Love. Hounds of Love is number seven. You're up yeah, one ha, step. Ha. Bailey, your turn. Well, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights is number two. You're up one step. Um, running up that hill. Good choice. I was waiting for someone to say that. Dylan, you're up two steps. Yes. Cloud Bursting. <gasps> that is number four. Bailey, you're up two steps. Yes. Uh, okay, for Ireland, visit the Guinness Museum. Or visit the Guinness Factory. Okay, yes, that is number nine. Congratulations, you're up three steps. Um, I'm going to continue with Kate Bush and say this woman's work. This woman's work is number five. You're up three steps. 
You guys should know that I listen to Kate Bush a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just trying to knock out the Ireland one so you won't have it when it's done. Um, uh, I was going to say Kiss the Barney Stone, but I don't think that's in Ireland. Or in Dublin. Um, but I'll say Kiss the Blarney Stone. No, the Blarney, the Blarney Stone is at Blarney Castle, which is not in Dublin. So you are down a step. You're down to two. Ah! Oh, no. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of the name of the song that's like about like a Russian lady. What's it called? I keep thinking of Bushka. Babushka? Babushka. That is correct. You're at four steps. That is number one. The 2018 remaster is number one on Kate Bush's current top 10 in Spotify. Nice. All right, Dylan, you're going to need to get some Irish stuff in you. I know. I'm going to have to get some Irish stuff now. I kind of did. Um, is Trinity College involved in any of this? You can't, you can't answer that. You have to make okay, a guess. Okay, I okay, can't, okay. I, visit, I, visit Trinity. I, I absolutely cannot answer that. Visit Trinity. Visiting Trinity? Nothing more specific? Don't worry. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. I'm going to be very specific here. Trinity College is number eight on this list. You're up to three steps. Bailey, your turn. I know that there's a song about a soldier, but I'm forgetting the title. So I'm going to skip that. Um, And I'm going to say, visit a pub. (laughs) Just visit a pub. Have have, have a pint at a pub. You are taking a step down and meeting Dylan at three. Come on. I, I should say, just so you know, the TripAdvisor things are very specific. And Bailey, I happen to know there's something that you can get here, at least one. And if you were reading very closely in conversations with friends, there's two. Oh, but okay. But again, you can choose when you think you've gotten high enough and you can wait to see if people end up sabotaging themselves or, or just go for it. But you're both at three right now. So I recommend you at least take one more cut each. Okay. All right. I'm gonna, um, I think it's called Union Street. Buskers on Union Street. Like uh, pay a busker on Union Street. I don't know if that is a real thing. But it is not in the top twelve. No. Uh oh. I'm so step. sorry. Down a step. You're down to two. Bailey's at three. You could stay there and assume Dylan's not going to get two correct things, or you could try to compound his pain. Um. Okay. I'm gonna say visit visit a cemetery. Do I have to say a specific name of a cemetery? I don't know. But visit a famous cemetery and the Massey Funeral Home. <laughs> there is a cemetery however it's called gloss nevin cemetery museum uh-huh. i think because you did mention visiting a cemetery i'm not going to make you down a step but i'm also not going to let you gain on that okay all right so, so bailey you're gonna you're gonna stay at three for that because technically that is something on the list okay though you didn't get the specific name but that's okay dylan you're at two bailey's at three because i think we named the famous kate bush songs don't look at me i'm not gonna say anything oh crap there's a whiskey thing. <laughs> there are several whiskey things. Uh, go to the whiskey museum. That is correct. That's number two, the Irish whiskey museum. <sighs> All right, Bailey, he's tied with you right now. Yeah, I'm going to try one more time, but it'll be my last shot. So I'll either win or lose. Okay, this is great. I was going to say, I feel like with the ones that are left, that's about where we are. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess, and I feel like I should get a little bit of grace for the specific specific name, but like see a play at like the royal shakespeare company or see a play no i'm so sorry uh, it is not on the list of top 12 things dude the gate theater in dublin is lovely but it didn't make the top 12 and the royal shakespeare company is uh is not in dublin but um so no you you fall down a step dylan you're at three i would recommend staying there but it is up to you if you want to compound say, the I issue say, i say i say i can't name anything else i lose so dylan you have run up the hill better you are kate bush's favorite and never yes. forget that <gasps> How dare you? All right. Tell me the other things. Okay. So the songs that you didn't mention um, were The Man with the Child in His Eyes. 
Army Dreamers, ah. Suspended in Gaffa, and And Dream of Sleep were the songs that were not mentioned. Suspended in Gaffa. Things that were not mentioned from Dublin were the number one thing to do, which is the Jameson Factory, the Jameson Distillery. Oh. Mm. Ah. Uh, then Epic, the Irish Immigration Museum. I'm not surprised you didn't get that. The Little Museum of Dublin. I'm not surprised you didn't get that. Uh, Kilmanheim Jail, Teeling Whiskey Distillery, Trinity College. St. Stephen's Green was the one I thought you might have gotten from close oh. reference. It's a big park. And then the one that really surprised me that you didn't mention, because I think you've seen it, Bailey, is the Book of Kells, which is at Trinity's old library. I have. And the thing is, I didn't say it because I thought that was part of the Trinity College. Fair. It's fair, but I tried to very much hint that you needed to be specific about what you were doing there. No, Kate Bush is disappointed with you. And Dylan, congratulations yeah. on running up that hill. Well, Dylan, you won the game and now it's your time to shine. It's time for you to pick books at random from our shelves. It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. Kate Bush. I mean, uh, this is a pretty rough episode. I don't know how we're going to salvage this, Andrew. Uh Uh-oh. That's right. Number one with a bullet. Andrew has American Salvage by Bonnie Jo Campbell. Oh, number one. This is a short story collection, as I recall. Oh, cool. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. This was a book that was I got in college and we had like one or two of the stories assigned to read for a class. And I really liked them, but I never got around to reading the other like whatever amount there are in the book. So I'm really excited to check this out. And it is thrilling to have number one picked. Adrian Mole was my number one, but now my number one is American Psycho. Well, Bailey, you can't get number one every time. You have to be very careful, all right? Okay. You have to cross to safety you have number 24 crossing to safety by wall stangner this was picked by our child maggie by me holding her up to a bookshelf <laughs> good job maggie um this is well this is interesting i got this from a used bookstore angle of repose by wall stangner was my english te- my favorite english teacher's favorite book and i couldn't get through it so i hope i like this one better we'll see shame so that means in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stigner, and Toby is reading Senor Vivo and the Coco Lord by Louis D. Bernays. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and Storygraph at the To Read List podcast. And if you like what you heard today and you want to um, help us out a little bit, you can do that in a couple different ways. One, you can go on to your podcatcher of choice, especially if you use Apple Podcasts and rate and review. Um, It really does help us out and it expands our reach, gets us on lists and gets us a little buzzy. And you know what? It makes us not do revenge on you like Heathcliff and other guys. And then also another great way to help us out is our best way of finding new listeners is word of mouth. Um, Just like in the old days when you needed to find out all about your creepy landlord from from your servant, word of mouth is the best way to get information. And so telling a friend or a family member who loves books um, and loves podcasts uh, would really help us out. So thanks. Yeah, just, you know, have a conversation with a friend. (laughs) Thanks to Andrew and Dylan for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Toby for following his dreams, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books.